Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. If you guys love a good adventure story, then you're in for a real treat because I have the one and only Colin O'Brady, the author of the best-selling book, The Impossible First. And this man has completed so many incredible feats of achievement, like he's done 10 time, he's a 10-time world record-breaking explorer. He's also a New York Times best-selling author. He's a speaker, he's an entrepreneur, and he's an expert on mindset. His mission is sharing hard-earned wisdom to empower others to conquer their minds and unlock their best lives. Some of his feats include the world's first solo, unsupported, and fully human-powered crossing of Antarctica, speed records for the Explorers Grand Slam and the Seven Summits, and he's the first human-powered ocean row across Drake Passage. He regularly speaks on mindset and high performance at Fortune 100 companies such as Nike, Google, and Amazon, among many, many others. And Colin is releasing a brand new book called The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. And this is a compelling blend of riveting adventure stories and hard wisdom that teaches us how to overcome our limiting beliefs and embark on a transformative one-day journey that will unlock our best lives. Millions of people dream of living a more fulfilling life, yet many settle for a life of comfortable complacency, allowing excuses and negative thoughts to invade their minds. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I'm, I'm afraid to fail. I don't have what it takes and many, many other of these negative thoughts. We allow these, ne- these negative limiting beliefs to control us and hold us down. Now comes the 12-hour walk which provides the inspiration and catalyst for getting unstuck and realizing someone's full potential. Featuring life lessons from explorer, endurance athlete, and my guest today, Colin O'Brady, whose adventures 
in in such extreme places as as like Antarctica and the perilous Drake Passage and on the peaks of Mount Everest to begin with have seen him establish 10 world records to to date which is honestly an astounding feat of achievement and one of the things you're going to get during my conversation with Colin today is a bunch of stories and things that he may not have shared before and what he what he thinks about some of the the life aspects limiting beliefs and so much more i think you guys are really going to connect with colin and love the stories that he does share i was just like a kid in a candy store being able to listen to a lot of his wisdom and all the stories that this man has had and we didn't have enough time to cover all the stories i mean that would have taken probably days in fact but uh, i wanted to bring to light this important uh, message that he is sending to people that you can control those beliefs that we oftentimes have, especially those limiting ones, right? We, we have that choice uh, every single day to control them. And uh, I hope that you guys will join in on the 12-hour walk. It is happening, I believe, on the 10th of September. Uh, So you can go and sign up now, which will be available on Colin's website, and go and get a copy of his book. It's called 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. Links for that will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends. Also, don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, which is essentially a pretty good uh, associated book along with Collins. So if you do want to learn how to overcome and lead your very best life, then definitely get a copy of my book as well as Collins' book as well from two different perspectives and walks of life. But yet I think the wisdom and the advice in both books would be somewhat similar and helpful. And it's amazing how that actually happens, right? So my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we learn more about the incredible wisdom, the advice, the 12-hour walk, and the stories of the one, the only, Colin O'Brady. So much fun to be here with you, my friend. I'm excited to, to get into it. Man, I'm very much excited to unbox more of your incredible story and the feats of achievements. I just read out a couple of them. You probably had no doubt more. You summited Everest too with our buddy Mike Posner uh, with your wife as well. You've done so many incredible things, man. The, the very first question that I thought would be very fitting to start off this conversation with is, what does success look like for you? Oh, wow. That, that's a great conver- That's a great question to dive in. Let me, let me think about that. Um, you know, I think success uh, to me is is tied to fulfillment, um, is tied to inner peace, happiness, grace. Um, uh, I think, you know, it's easy to read off a bio or something like that and say, oh, 10 world records, New York Times, this author. those are all external achievements. Um, and what I've come to realize over time, I'm, I, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm proud as hell of those. Um, but when I, you know, for example, my, my solo crossing of Antarctica, um, a big achievement, no one in history had ever completed that crossing before, you know, people died attempting it and a lot of history around that crossing in Antarctica and polar travel. Um, but when I reflect on that journey, I actually, in, in my previous book, the impossible first, the last chapter of that book, I is titled infinite love. 
Um, and it wasn't, Hey, I finished. I'm awesome. It was infinite love. Meaning what I learned from that journey was a deep connection to, to source, to energy, to community, to love, to family. Um, and so success, man, success isn't getting to that finish line first. Of course, that that's the driving force behind it. But I think I'm so much more interested in, in the inner journey and finding that deep fulfillment, um, in my life, really the, I know we'll talk about it, but my new book, the 12 hour walk is really an invitation for everyone to find that, you know, cultivate that and a kind of an, a prescription I have for everyone that everyone can do um, that I think unlocks their life in, in that direction of fulfillment and whatever that may be. Look, I, I get it that not every person wants to go freeze their butt off and walk across that article by themselves, right? That's not for most people. I get that. That's not where you need to find your fulfillment. But I love to frame the question in, you know, what you say, what does success look like? I, I love to ask the question to people, um, you know, what's your Everest? My childhood dream was literally climbing Mount Everest since I was a little kid. And so I dreamed about that and schemed and figured out how to save the money to do that, et cetera. And I've been fortunate to do it twice, but I get that's not everyone's dream, but everyone has a goal, a dream, a hope, a wish. Um, and it really can be anything. Um, and I encourage people to really think about that. And then really, as we talk about in this 12 hour walkbook, find a way to actually cultivate that and create that in their own life. You've done quite a lot feats of achievement. And I'm curious, did you find that when you did say walk solo across Antarctica, did you find that was more fulfilling than say summoning Everest? Or was it more sort of comparable with each other? You know, I've looked at each one of my big expeditions, you know, at, as different experiences. Um, you know, each one of them has their own sort of treasures and their own gems. Certainly, you know, that Antarctica solo Antarctica crossing 54 days alone in Antarctica, um, was a, was a deep cut, man. It took every ounce of my body, brain, mind, um, support system with my wife, et cetera, to, to complete that crossing. That's for sure. Um, but you know, each one of them are different, you know, I summited Everest twice the second time with my wife and, and that wasn't a world record of any kind. And as you mentioned, a uh, dear friend of the sounds like both of ours, Mike Posner, he was there with us as well. Um, and he, you know, that experience being up there on the top of the world with my wife wasn't a world record, but one of the most fulfilling experiences I've ever had in adventure. Right. Um, because sharing that with the person, I mean, you joked around, we we're like, we'll have one of a hell of a story for our grandkids one day, you know, like there's something in that that's like almost cooler than having a story to tell the rest of the world, just that personal level. But then other things I think about, you know, the 50 high points, um, that, that project, the U S 50 high points. So it's climbing the tallest peak on each of the 50 U S states. Some of them, particularly in the Western part of the U.S. are big, challenging, tough mountains. On the east coast of the United States, they know Florida, the tallest peak is 300 feet above sea level. You know, that's 100 meters. It's like a grassy hill in a parking lot, right? You know, some are easy, but to imagine to do all 50 of them in 21 days um, was physically demanding. It was incredibly hard, logistically demanding. And we had this amazing group of people with us. There was about six or eight people that were working on the project, you know, logistics, driving this RV, working out the logistics. And then we invited people to join. Um, we said to put it up on social media and said, we're going to be in Kansas today. We're going to be in Colorado today. We're going to be in Texas today. Come and people would show up, random people, you know, off the trailhead and hike a mile with me, climb a peak with me. And, you know, maybe that project isn't as, you know, uh, headline catching as a solo crossing of Antarctica in the, in the context of history or whatnot. Um, but that was one of the most fun projects I've ever done, man. Like the people I met, the, the, the laughter. And honestly, it was actually really, really hard. Then I slept like two hours a day for 21 days in a row or something like that. I was spent by the end. And, you know, 
even though that doesn't have the, sh- the sizzle or the shimmer and shine, uh, maybe I look at that project as one of my all-time favorites. So to answer your question, man, they each have their own thing. I mean, rowing a boat across Drake Passage with six other guys in a 28-foot rowboat getting drenched and cold. Like, we had an epic adventure on that boat, you know, 40-foot swells. So, yeah, each one of them, man, I don't really rank one above the other. They all are, are meaningful and beautiful and part of the tapestry of my own life and journey. You've got a lot of stories, man, that revolve around these great feats of achievement. And you also, you don't just go alone in all of them. You have a team around you. And I'm, I'm interested in what is, what have you learned about the importance of having team members around you and what does that actually mean? Like forming a team? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so essential. Right. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll take it back a little bit to the 12 hour walk. Um, not because I'm just trying to plug the new book, but really because there's an essence and there's an essence in there. Each one of these chapters in the book are built around a limiting belief, right? And each one of these limiting beliefs is things that are holding us back from living our best life. Um, I, I certainly, um, you know, I certainly have struggled with all these limiting beliefs. They're common limits. I know I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Um, what if I fail? What if people criticize me? I hate being uncomfortable. Right. And one of them is, I don't have, I frame it as I don't have the right friends or I don't have the right community. Um, And I start that chapter by one of my favorite quotes, which is, you know, you're the net product of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. Um, And and I, I, I say somewhat tongue in cheek in there. I say, um, you know, hang around four millionaires, you're likely to be the fifth. Hang around four criminals, you're likely to be the fifth. You know, it's like you got to, you are the company you keep. And team, certainly uh, in, in the context of my expeditions, is huge, huge that, right? It's how do you get people to buy into this common belief of some of the things that I've done? You know, people have literally said before I've done them, you know, that's impossible or, or you're going to die out there. That's a horrible idea, right? So you got to get people that believe in it um, at the same level with the same passion you do. And at its core, you know, I've had a lot of people touch my different expeditions and projects, but you know, I'd be remiss to not, you know, shout out my wife, Jenna, because she's, she's more than just my wife. She's, she's my business partner. She's my co-dreamer, co-collaborator, co-conspirator. Um, every single thing that we've dreamed up, every book we've written, every expedition we've been on, they have started with her and I looking at each other, just asking this question of what do we want to do next? What do we care about? What are we passionate about? Um, you know, the nonprofit we start, all the things have started from, from that place. And, have accelerated. We've, we've had success. Of course, we've had failures just like anyone else. Um, but at, at its core, it's a trust and a faith in one of each other. And I will say this, um, you know, day one in Antarctica this is a good example. Day one in Antarctica, I, uh, I'm flying to the edge of the frozen continent. Um, and my, my hope is to be the first person in history to complete this. I find out a few days before I depart that uh, there's actually another guy attempting the crossing at the same time, like literally the same time. This this British military captain, his name is Captain Lewis Rudd, and he's a special forces British guy, like a total freaking badass dude, very accomplished polar explorer, um, rugged as hell. And I'm intimidated, man. I'm like, that guy? It's like one thing to like go up against history, but I go head to head with this guy now. And so when I say the same time, I literally mean him and I, before we know it, are shoulder to shoulder in the one cargo plane that you can hire to fly to the edge of the continent, staring at each other to get dropped off on the edge of the continent to start, you know, a 1000 mile journey across the frozen continent head to head. And I'm just like, oh shit. Um, (laughs) And 
I didn't really mentally prepare too well for that. And so we make a gentleman's agreement, which is that we're going to start one mile apart from each other. So equidistant from the first waypoint, but just so we're not standing right next to each other. Right. And so that I jump out of the plane, the plane doesn't even take off. It just drives, you know, a minute, a mile later, he hops out of the plane the plane takes off. We're all alone. The, the race starts. And, you know, I'm pulling a 375 pound sled. So that's about 160 kilograms, um, you know, ridiculously heavy because I'm doing something called unsupported, which is no resupplies of food or fuel along the way. So I have to take everything that I have with me, you know, with me from day one all the way to the end. And that's what no one had ever done. Unsupported as well as human power. People have crossed Antarctica solo with kites and dogs and things like that, but never just mono we mono pulling the sled um, kind of as old school methodology as you possibly can have. And I'm like, okay, I'm all fired up. I've trained for this. I've told all these people, you know, press and media, I'm doing this crossing, whatever, start pulling my sled. And I can't move it more than like 10 steps. Like I literally, I'm like, I can't move it. Like, oh shit, I can't move it. Um, And it's, it's rough, man. And so much so that I actually start crying. I start literally crying out there in Antarctica, but what happens when it's minus 30 degrees outside and you start crying? Well, it turns out the tears, they actually freeze your face, <laughs> which oh, is God. like the world's all time most pathetic feeling. And so I'm thinking, okay, misery loves company, right? I look thinking, you know, Lou must be struggling too. It's day one, our sleds are heavy, whatever. And I look over to my right and what do I see? I see Captain Lou just taking off, having no troubles, just disappearing over the horizon. Like he's just already day one, minute one, hour one, just left me in the dust and I can barely pull my sled. And I, I call, I call my wife. It's the only thing I can think to do. You know, I pick up my satellite phone. I called my wife. I had named my project, the impossible first, um, you know, thinking it might be impossible. I might fail on day 30, day 40, day 50, you know, I'd made it 71 days in this project at one point and, you know, fell ill and ultimately died, but very near the finish line. Um, I didn't think I was going to, I wasn't prepared to fail in, in hour one, hour two, hour three. And I called her and I said, Hey babe, I think we named our project the right thing. This is indeed impossible. Like I was like, she's like, what are you talking about? Describe the scene. Lou's gone. I'm crying. I got frozen tears on my face and she didn't let me quit. She, there's been so many moments. It's just one tiny little moment. I could go back to so many others, but she basically says, how far are you away from the first waypoint? I'm like, uh, half a mile. And she goes, forget about the 932 other miles you got to go. Forget about Captain Lou. Forget about tomorrow. Forget about this. Pull your sled to that very first waypoint. Just get there. And, you know, it's a simple piece of advice. Um, And your question really was about team. But it's about, it's not just calling your wife and saying, hey, honey, I'm in the middle of Antarctica by myself. What the hell should I do? She was in the weeds with this. She had the spreadsheet of how much food I was eating, every calorie, every ounce, every footstep, tracked, everything like that. But for her to be able to also hold that space for me and be like, okay, let's not freak out, you know, collect yourself, gather yourself. And a lot of things happen, you know, after that, obviously. And there's times when I've called her from the sides of mountains, you know, freaked out. I I had a really bad, uh, thing happened to me in Pakistan last year where I lost five friends in a climbing accident. And she also had to take that phone call. Um, but team, particularly in the team of the context of my wife has meant, you know, holding each other, uh, in the highest regard, pushing each other when we need to push also acknowledging sometimes we need to back up and knowing that there's an, an unconditional level of trust in one another. And that has been absolutely foundational, um, to the successes I've had over time. When you say trust, and there's two questions in this. So first one, how have you been able to, number one, trust yourself? And number two, trust your wife 
And then number three, why haven't you given up? Why, what is it about you, man? Yeah, look, um, you know, the, the trust in self, um, I think comes from a body of work, right. And it comes from pushing the edge. It comes from failing. Um, it comes from having not everything go my way. You know, I've had countless setbacks. Some people, you know, listen to this, they hear 10 minutes of the podcast. Oh, this guy's flying Antarctica. He's a professional adventurer. He does this and that. Great. He must have a huge trust fund. Must be nice for him. Right. Like the truth of the matter is I grew up with very little money. Uh, I dreamed of traveling the world. I painted houses as a little kid, just saved up for a plane ticket around the world. Ended up meeting my wife in Fiji, actually, because she was studying at the University of Sydney. She's American, but she was studying abroad in Australia. We were in our early 20s and she was living in Bondi, actually. Um, and then I met back up with her a couple months later in Sydney and the rest is history. We've been together for 15 years. Um, but the when I say that about money, like part of it is we dream these things. And in the book, the 12 hour walk, one of my core principles, actually the first page of the book brings this idea to, to light, which is called what I call a possible mindset. And I define that as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. This idea that we can be and become and build into anything we want to be. But that's also through struggle. That's not like through like, oh, and then it just hit me over the head, whatever, right? Like our first project that we dreamed up, we got engaged, we're on a mountaintop and we say, I want to try to do the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is kind of the tallest mountain in each of the seven continents, go to the North and South Pole. We quickly, quick Google check will tell you that going to the North and South Pole and Everest just alone, that's expensive. All the rest of those mountains, you're looking at half a million bucks. Like it's ridiculous. Just the logistics on that are just, it's complicated. It's remote. It's helicopters into ice shelves. I mean, it's just, it's just tough thing to do. We were in our twenties and we had like 10 grand to our name. Right. And very easy in that moment, just be like, cool. Like that's an awesome dream. Like never going to work. There's no chance we're going to pull this off. But that possible mindset says, well, what assets do we, do we, we have 10 grand. We don't have zero. Well, let's make a cool website. Let's go knock on people's doors. Let's obsessively email people and stalk people on LinkedIn and try to find sponsors. That's a whole other story, but that's about us basically fighting through it. And so it's easy, you know, to now be sitting here with the accolades that you so kindly read at the beginning of this interview, but to realize like that trust that I'm talking about with my wife, you know, with myself comes from daring to dream that dream. And we have, you know, for the many few nights that we've stood celebrating our successes, there have been countless more, probably hundreds more of us going, I got another no today. That guy said, that's not going to work. This person slammed a door in our face. This setback happened, this, but waking up next to that same person every single day and having them go, cool. So let's try something else. Cool. Let's keep pushing forward. And so that perseverance, of course, shows itself in the grit of continuing to pull my sled, continue to climb up the mountain, like you said, never quitting. But that grit and perseverance and that trust in one another starts long, long, long before in that dreaming phase, in that answering that question. And I encourage everyone listening to answer that question. You know, what is your efforts? Dream without limits. Allow yourself to unlock and cultivate that possible mindset. But I also say pretty clearly in the book that, you know, people talk about the fear of failure and I've been there plenty. I've had that fear of failure, but what I've learned over time is, you know, 
failure plus perseverance equals success, meaning you are going to fail over and over and over again. I also write in the book, one of my favorite lines is winners lose the most winners lose the most winners lose the most, right? It's like, it's so easy to be like, Oh yeah, that guy crushed it. He sold a company, made a gajillion dollars or had this accolade or this, that. And the other thing it's like, yeah, because the 10 other companies he started before that he failed, then he finally figures something out or he finally made this tweak or this, or, or she had this new idea after learning that. And so I think it's important to remember when you kind of, you know, you could so easy to look at the internet or social media and see someone who's like just crushing life. And you're like, yeah, like, and they got there by like trying and starting one day and failing, but continuing to try. So I know it was a question about trust. Uh, it was a long circuitous answer, but to me, the trust in self, the trust in my wife um, has really been established by you see your true colors in the low moments. You see your true colors when you have the setbacks and when you have a ride or die person in your life or, you know, and also trusted yourself of like, I've been through some hard shit, man. And I've seen myself get through it. So I know I have the confidence that I can do that again. Um, well, perhaps a, a too long winded of an answer, but your third part of that question was in how do I never give up? And the truth is there have been times when I've turned back. You know, I think that's important. Giving up, um, I think, implies, you know, I guess uh, just giving up, right? Just as, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. But I have turned back. Um, I won't tell the whole story, but the very, very, you know, short version is, as I alluded to earlier, is, you know, I lost five friends in an accident on K2 in Pakistan um, last year. And I was up at 24,000 feet on a tent. We were attempting to climb K2 in winter, something to that point that no one in history had ever accomplished. It's the second tallest mountain in the world. And I was sitting in my tent, too much of a long story in details, but long story short, some people didn't have tents with them. It comes with crazy logistics, failed. And ultimately I ended up in my tent with seven people, You know, basically providing emergency shelter for people on a night when it was minus 70, minus 80 degrees. And we're gonna have to climb through the entire night to reach the summit of what is widely known as the most dangerous mountain in the world. And everyone was still keen to go. Like even though these you know, things are broken down, to be clear, we weren't all climbing together. We just happened to be on the mountain at the same time. Some of the best mountaineers in the world, people that I highly, highly respect, but there were such short weather windows that we were kind of all colluding. We were kind of all going, Hey, if this, if it's going to happen, we've been on the mountain for six weeks, putting in ropes, setting up camps and things like that. And there was this tiny little weather window. And as again, as this kind of logistics breakdown, people in my tent, they're still like, we're going, we're going. And I had actually climbed up to camp three, 24,000 feet, which is, you know, what, 7,500 meters, something like that. Um, and I had been the first person to arrive to that camp. You know, I was climbing stronger, I suppose, you know, objectively than anyone else on that day. Everything felt good in my body. Everything felt good in my mind. In fact, that day was maybe one of the best days of climbing I've ever had, all alone through this very complicated stretch of K2 called the Black Pyramid, some of the more, most complex and challenging mount, uh, climbing on that mountain. Mm. And everyone got there, sunsets, it's getting dark, people have to go, and people are like, we're going for it. We're pushing for it. And a weird thing came over me, man. And one of the limiting beliefs that I, that I write about in the 12 hour walk is I, I say people, we say, but I don't know the answer. I need this checklist. I need this, you know, this pros and cons list, you know, analysis by paralysis. And trust me, I, I'm a very logical thinker. So I've done that plenty in my life, but something in this moment just intuitively was off. And I, I was like, I started to feel a twinge of it inside. I'm sitting in this tent, all cramped down. 
And I actually call my wife. You can see the pattern here. And I, I call my wife and I call Jenna Crackley sat phone connection. I explained to her, Hey, I'm in this bad situation on K2. What's your read on this? And she doesn't tell me to turn around. She says, I can't tell. She doesn't tell me to go up. She doesn't tell me to go down. She goes, the weather window's closing. So if you're going to go, you have to go now, but I've got no read on this. Like you make the call. And so I closed my eyes and I asked, I asked my friends who are in the tent again, like I said, world-class, incredible climbers who I just, uh, dear friends and people I just admire in the climbing community. And they're like, we're going for it. We're going to go for it. So I closed my eyes and I start to feel into my intuition and something deep down inside of me is telling me, don't go, not this time. And I have this weird interior dialogue with myself where I go, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? You're calling. You're the guy who does hard stuff. You're, you're the guy who Jay just says on the podcast, never gives up, never turns around. You're the guy who, you know, just keeps pushing. You know, that that's who I am. That's my brand. That's my own personal identity in the world, right? I'm like something's off, but I can't put my finger on it. It's just, just like something's off. And so the, I do my last ego check before I make the final decision. I go, okay, but you're not wishing these people ill will if they go. In fact, that the human thing to do here. And then and, and my truth is if they go, I want them to succeed, yeah. but now play that forward. They succeed. We're down in base camp a couple of days later, there's global acclaim and headlines and I'm not a part of it. So I actually visualize that moment, that moment, drinking tea in base camp, celebrating my friend's success, but actually knowing deep down, I didn't have the right stuff on that day. I gave up. My body was feeling amazing. There was no objective reason to turn around. And I just turned around on a hunch. And I still play that out. And I listen to my intuition even closer. And it's like, nah, I'm done with this climb. This isn't the night for me. And so I announced to them, I called Jenna back. I said, I'm not going. And I wish that that celebration in base camp had happened. I wish that we had been drinking tea and my friends had made it to the summit of the mountain and everything had been good. Unfortunately, um, over the next 24 hours, uh, four friends would lose their lives and never come down from that mountain earlier in the expedition. Someone had passed and over the course of that expedition, five friends were lost. Um, between them, they had 15 children back home. Um, and it's a deep, deep, deep tragedy. Um, the lesson, um, you know, of course, through the grief and through the trauma and through the processing of that over the last year and a half, the lesson that I've tried to tap into more and more and more in my life is intuition, is gut. Um, and I think it's something, an inner voice and instinct that actually we all um, have within us. And look, maybe <laughs> hopefully you don't find yourself on the ledge at night in K2 in winter, minus 70 degrees outside, but there are consequential decisions in our life, you know, that might maybe don't seem as consequential as that, but they dictate the fulfillment of our days. It's a, you know, you get offered a job on the other side of Australia or the other side of the United States and it requires, you know, might be more money, but your kids are 14 years old. And if you uproot them from their entire social scene, that's going to have a ripple effect through everyone's life. That's a decision. I'm not saying what the right answer is, but that's a decision, right? Or, you're, you're thinking you're, you're lying in bed next to somebody that you, you've been dating for a few years or five years or whatever that is. And you're thinking, should I get married to this person? You're weighing the pros and cons. Should I this, the right, this, everything's fine. And that's a big decision. And I don't have the answer for you. I'm not trying to tell you, marry, marry her, don't marry her, marry him, don't marry him. But what I'm saying is deep down, 
deep down, you actually know the answer. You don't have to do the pros and cons list to answer that. You know. And when I say when you know, you know, it saved my life on K2 um, and through this 12-hour walk, which, you know, at some point we'll, we'll talk about what that actually means, this invitation for people to take a 12-hour walk, a journey of their own in silence. One invitation with that call to action is inviting people to turn off their phones, put it in airplane mode, take a day. And one of the powers of that is tapping into the power of the inner voice and sorting through some things that you might've had the stillness in your mind to think through and realizing that we know the answer. Um, so, yeah. Do you have any regrets with your decision in not going to the top of the mountain in K2? Yeah, no, no. I mean, it was the right decision in the moment. It's interesting. And when I think about intuition, the way at least I interpret it or feel it, it's a, it's a, it's somatic, right? It really is in the body. Um, and, you know, I have, you know, Jenna actually recorded that entire sat phone call. So I actually have that to reflect on or remind myself, um, which is interesting, very kind of intense to listen back to, but interesting. Um, I actually, <clears throat> And I have some video clips. Um, one of the things that I did with the 12 hour walk book at the end of each chapter actually included a QR code and you can scan your phone with a QR code. So instead of having a photo insert, this takes you to a short video, you know, a two minute, three minute video, but it's of my archival content. So there's one chapter in the book that's specifically about K2 and, and brings you right into this tent that I'm describing um, just because I have this archival content and it brings it to life, you know, even more so than the words on the page. Um <laughs> And it's intense, man. I mean, it's really intense. But one thing that I say in the video, and I only bring up the video because it's a it's a good reality check on as memory fades over time. It's like, no, this happened. This, you know, you can't change this. This is in this video. Um, I say something in the video that I have where I look in the camera and I'm kind of like, I'm like, and this is before I know anyone's passed away. This would be it's easy to look back and say, Oh, of course I don't regret the decision. A bunch of people died, you know. But this is, you know, when I'm still they're still up on the mountain, we still think everything's going okay. And I say, the second I made that decision and expressed it out loud, my body completely relaxed. Like I say, that somatic feeling of just like, huh. And, yeah. I, and it's weird, man. I, I got to say, there's been so many other times, so many other times, including a couple months later, Jenna and I were on Everest. This is a couple months after this accident. We were on, we were on Everest. And I don't know if, I don't know when you had Posner on your show, but if it was after Everest, he probably talked about this, which was, we got hit by an avalanche. Yeah. We got hit by an avalanche on camp and camp two on Everest. One of the scariest moments I've ever had in my life, you know, tents were broken and ruined, you know, camp wiped out. Fortunately, we really got hit by the edge of the plume. Um, but it was enough to shake us up a lot. And I woke up that next morning with Jenna. We didn't sleep much after that, obviously jacked through with the adrenaline adrenaline. Um, and I thought to myself, this is where we turn around, right? Like this, this is the end of this expedition. Um, but Jenna, to her credit was actually like, nah, I think we go to the top now. And which is just a whole other crazy badass thing on her regard. Point being is even after this experience where I turned around, I still made a decision on an even taller mountain a couple months later in a really bad scenario to continue upward despite things. And so it wasn't a, oh, 
I made this decision and I should always this and be risk averse, whatever. It was just something about the alchemy of that moment. And that's where I say there's something that we had deep inner knowing that we have intuitively um, that is incredibly powerful. And I'm not saying it's right 100% of 100 of the time. And it's not a criticism of those other guys who went and passed away and got in an accident saying, oh God, their intuition was wrong. It's, it's not, it's not to cast any stones. It is to just point out that I do believe that we do ha- have a sense about things. And again, it's, it's, it's not worthy of tapping into at the expense of all other things, but it is, it, it is something that I do think we all have the power to tap into that helps us make some tough decisions in certain moments. Are you afraid to die? Um, I've been asked that question a lot. Um, and I've given it a lot of thought actually. Um, Here's my answer to that question, which is <clears throat> I am afraid to die. I certainly don't want to die. Uh, I have, have no interest in dying. I, I picture myself as an old man with uh, my wife and grown kids and grandkids and all the things towards the end of life. I've had some actually very vis- vivid, visceral um, uh, visualizations of that moment as a very old man. So I hope I reach that. But more than I'm afraid of dying, the thing that I'm most afraid of is not living. Yeah. I'm afraid of not living. Um, and I've come to think about life, the experience of life on a scale of one to 10, um, kind of 10 being our highest highs, right. And, and one being our lowest lows. Um, and you know, one is, you know, the, the, this accident that happened on K2, you know, and the, the, the grief of, of experiencing that over the course of the last year and a half, since that happened, one is, you know, I was severely burned in a fire in Thailand 15 years ago and was told I would never walk again. Normally spent months in a hospital. You know, th- these are ones, right? And tens are, um, you know, falling in love with my wife, uh, summoning Everest with her, crossing Antarctica, realizing I did it. You know, these are tens. And when I think about the tens in my life, what I've come to realize is those tens don't exist in spite of my ones. Those tens exist actually because of my ones, because of my ones which means to experience the tens, you have to be willing to experience the ones. And what I realize is that too often in our modern society, you know, you, you, it is pretty easy to exist in the four and six, what I call the zone of comfortable complacency. Um, where like you have a job, maybe you're not that passionate about it, pays the bills, whatever, like, eh, like, that's, that's fine. You know, you, you, you watch the, the ball game with your buddies on the weekend, drink a couple beers, like, eh, you know, you're, you're, you're with, you know, a longtime partner and, you know, like you coexist, you cohabitate, things are fine, but it's like eh, four to six. There's a lot of people living in the four to six. And certainly the modern conveniences of internet and phones and, you know, uh, abundance of electricity and heat and shelter and, you know, things like that compared to, you know, human existence hundreds of years ago have made that zone of comfortable complacency accessible to more and more people. But I find that it's a trap. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to live some of your time in a comfortable place to rest and revitalize and recharge and build and create 100%. But if you are so focused on hedging against not experiencing any low moments in your life, the byproduct of that is you're also hedging against allowing the pendulum to swing the other direction. Mm. And if you really think about those high highs, I mean, people often say the best day of my life was the day my first child was born, right? 
Talk about an intense, traumatic, insane moment. I'm pretty sure that the mother birthing that child, you know, naturally uh, a few minutes before it was born was in the most intense pain of that person's life, right? While also bringing new life from the world and then flooded with the dopamine rush and the love and the, uh, the amazingness of, of new life and seeing your child for the first time, you know, talk about the ones and the tens. And so anyways, man, I, I, to answer your question, I certainly don't want to die. Um, but I am afraid more of having a life stuck within the four and sixes. And, um, this, this book to me, I'm proud of my other book, which is about my anarchic crossing memoir tells that story in rich and vivid detail. Like I said, proud of the success it's had, et cetera. But what really lights me up and excites me in this moment of time more than anything is inspiring other people if they're feeling stuck, if they're feeling like, well, I feel like life had more to offer, et cetera. And so this 12 hour walk at its core is a one day prescription, which is for anyone, which is literally it's at its simplest, its simplest level is to say, take one day, put it on your calendar and walk outside, put your phone on airplane mode. Don't listen to any music. Don't listen to any podcast and be alone in your thoughts. And I walked 12 hours a day in Antarctica and I found deep bliss and silence and stillness. But where this actually came from was during COVID lockdown. I know Australia has been even more locked down than a lot of the rest of the world. So a lot of Australian listeners can really resonate with this. But in those first few months of the first initial shock of the, the spring of 2020, after having some success and finding inner bliss and inner peace inside my own body, I found myself locked inside a small little house with my wife and my dog. And I was depressed. I was full of anxiety. I think no, there's a lot of people out there that can relate to that moment um, in time. And look, I was trying to tell myself, oh, you don't have it so bad, Colin. There's people that are actually getting sick. There's people that are dying. There's people that are this, but, and that is true. I, you know, a lot of people had it worse than me, but my truth was I was losing my balance. I was losing my peace. I was losing my feelings. I was losing my connection to that. So I try to think back on the last time that I actually felt that flow, where I felt that positive radiance, that felt that resonance. And I thought back, I said, this is insane to say, but it actually happened in Antarctica when I was starving and pulling a 300 pound sled, the stillness and the silence and the quiet and the disconnection. I actually, although I had so many ones, I experienced a lot of tens. I experienced places in my mind where I tapped into this meditative flow. And so I said to my wife, I was kind of grasping at straws. She was making fun of me. She goes, you haven't changed out of your pajamas in three days. Like, you know, get your shit together, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. So I said to her one day, I said, we're, we're on the Oregon coast near where I grew up, a small house that my family has, um, kind of big, barren, rainy and dreary beaches, kind of like Tassie, I suppose, kind of like that kind of vibe. Um, and, uh, I, uh, I say to her, I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going for a walk tomorrow, 12 hours. Don't worry about me. And I was like, and I, and I was like, just don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll come back in 12 hours. She's like, okay, fine. Do whatever, you know, do whatever, do your thing, man. Um, and so I go and I, and I walk and I'm walking for 20 minutes and my phone buzzes in my pocket and I instinctively look at it, you know, someone's texted me or whatever. And I'm about to like, look at the text and respond. And it's just something hits me. I'm like, man, you've been sitting in your house staring at your phone, checking social media, doom scrolling the news about every COVID update or horrible thing that's happening in the world, you know, zoom calling your friends and family. Cause you can't see anyone in person, like enough, like take just a minute. So I just, it's again, intuitively just like phone on airplane mode, phone in the pocket. And I continue walking. I walk for 12 hours, um, which sounds ridiculous, but 
I walk in silence for 12 hours and I come home. My wife looks me in the eye. And before I even say anything, she's like, oh, it worked. She just could tell there was just, she was like, you're back. You basically, I think she said you're back actually. And I was like, I, I gotta be honest. I feel better than I felt in a long time. The, the silence and the stillness and the quiet of my mind brought me back to this, this reset, this inner peace. And so before I knew it, you know, it was like, wait, well, I, am I the guy who pulled a sled across Antarctica, walked 12 hours a day? So maybe this is just like in my wheelhouse. And I, that's how I can tap into that. But I was like, a lot of our people are kind of going through some tough spots right now. So pretty quickly, I, you know, enlisted a group of friends and family members and colleagues. I said, hey, try this. And they said, well, do I, 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 that seems like I would have to train for that for like months and months or something like that. I said, no, no, no. The 12 hour walk is an exercise of the mind. And this is true for every person listening to this, if you're considering doing this, which I highly recommend. You don't have to train. This is meant to meet you exactly where you're at. And I'll give you an extreme case, which is my 77-year-old mother-in-law. So this is interesting, but you know, she's she's 77. Um, you know, pretty healthy for her age. She, you know, she can't walk for 12 hours consecutively. And I say, look, look, the 12 hours is an exercise of the mind. And what she ended up doing, she walked out her front door, she walked one block, one time around her block, and then sat on her front porch in silence and stillness alone for an hour. And an hour later, she did another walk around a block. So the truth of the matter is. It's the 12 hour walk meets you exactly where you're at. I don't care if you walk for one mile, if you walk for 50 miles, this is not a competition. This is you taking a day in stillness and silence to cultivate and strengthen your mind. Costs you nothing. You don't have to train for it. There's no preparation. What it costs you is a commitment to say, I need a reset. And lastly, I'll be clear. It, it's great to do it in a beautiful place. If you happen to live nearby there, but ambient city noise. You live in downtown Sydney or New York city or whatever that is. You could walk out your front door. As long as you're not engaging with, the, you're not saying hi to the people as they walk past you on the street, you know, cars driving past you, people walking past you, you are maintaining your own stillness of your own mind. That's entirely fine. That's still the exercise. And I've found it's been amazing. You know, every person I have known to take the 12 hour walk, my ultimate goal is to inspire a movement of 10 million people taking this walk, but I've known many, you know, you know, obviously we're just getting started here with the book coming out, et cetera. It has had a profound impact. Um, you know, on the 12 hour walk.com, I got a promo video on there. There's some videos of other people completing this walk and it's amazing. And they're not all having the same breakthrough that I had, right? I said, this is meeting you where you're at. You are dealing with your own ups and downs, challenges. You know, even if things are going great, we can all use this reset. It's not a way to vilify technology. It's not a way to say, oh, and by the way, after you complete the 12 hours, throw your phone in the trash, delete your email account and become a monk. Like that, that's not what it is. This is actually to say, integrate this into your life. I'm on social media. I use my phone every single day. You and I are talking on this conversation on the Zoom phone call for the other side of the world, you know, embracing technology. I am 100% embracing the modern world, but it's just to say in 12 hours, in one day, quiet your mind, go into yourself, reset. And it is incredible how many of your limiting beliefs that you can push aside. And that possible mindset I've found rises to the surface and really cultivates a 10 as you come back to your own front door. I love this. Honestly, I think it is so important, especially because we live in such a noisy world. And as you were describing, it can't, it can get us down. Like we can feel absolutely stuck and we have the choice whether or not we want to get up, move outside, whatever we want to do, but just be in that state of quiet. I think it, it is really, really powerful. And I do it 
every single morning, man, not for 12 hours, but <laughs> for like uh, about an hour or so I'll be in complete silence. Like I won't, I'll have my phone with me just in case of, of emergencies, but I'll just be, I'll turn off my podcast, just being complete silence. It'll just be me and the pavement and my thoughts. And I notice it's the most serene, surreal, peaceful, blissful, whatever the words I want to use to describe that feeling. It's honestly amazing. So yeah, man, thank you for encouraging people to do this similar thing, like go for a 12 hour walk and be alone with the thoughts. Those, I think that's really, really, it's powerful, man. Yeah. And, and, and I love that you, and, you know, ha, have seen that benefit in the time that you spent, you know, it's interesting. I've, um, you know, I've asked a lot of people in the kind of researching and thinking about this book and this premise, um, this question, which is, you know, what, what's the longest you've spent alone? Um, and, and I define that, you know, I define that for people. I'm like, okay, sleeping doesn't count. So waking hours only. Um, and every time you look at your phone, the clock resets. Every time you talk to somebody and have someone else in the room, the clock resets. Every time you turn on music or a podcast or you're reading something or there's some external input coming into your brain, the clock resets. And I've asked this now to hundreds of people and you know, you are actually, you know, doing that an hour a day, you are in a, in a fast, fast minority of people. The average answer to that question is like, I don't know, man, 30 minutes, maybe, baby, you know, like you said, we live in a noisy world. I'll tell you what my day to day also looks like rarely does, you know, 15 or 30 minute block go by for me as well. And so what I love about this concept and I love about the accessibility of this concept that it's really for everyone anywhere at any time to take on is, it is far outside the comfort zone for people. It's far outside the norm for people, but it's also doable. It's also just takes a commitment to say, okay, I can make a day for this. I can prioritize this. The benefits are going to be fast. Um, and so it's a weird thing where like 12 hours seems like a long amount of time. And don't get me wrong. It is. And you're hour three, hour four, hour five alone in your thoughts. It's, it feels long. But when you think back on a year of your life, the last year, think back on it. How many days do you actually remember? How many days go by and you just, uh, you can be something like, I can barely remember what I did last Tuesday, let alone a month ago or five months ago on a, you know, you know, what were you doing on January 17th? Like, I have no idea. I promise you that this experience will imprint. When you look back on your last year, your last five years, and someone says, have you ever done, you know, did you walk for 12 hours? Been, yes, I've done that. And it had this effect on me. Um, and so, that in itself um, is a powerful imprinting. And, and another interesting factor that I found of this, like I said, I've talked a lot about limiting beliefs here, obviously passionate about people's, because I believe we all have these sort of reservoirs of untapped potential to achieve and, and find deep fulfillment in our own minds. And it really starts with our mind, right? Cultivating this muscle, this strength, this inner strength. Um, and people ask me that all the time. You've done this expedition, you've done that expedition. How did you cultivate the mental strength? And it's really by having a practice and flexing and develop this muscle, the six inches between our ears. I use that word muscle very intentionally because you got it, you know, just like you take your biceps to the, the bench press, you got to take your mind there sometimes too, if you want to strengthen it. But 
the interesting thing about the 12 hour walk that I found and talking to people about it is the exercise itself. Now uh, you can do it on any day. I'm actually inviting global and mass participation on September 10th. So if you're looking for a day to do it, I'll be doing that day. There's already thousands of people around the world doing it that day. If you want a day to put it on your calendar, Jay, I'd love for you to participate. If September 10th works for you, man, uh, pop it on the calendar. Um, but it's on. if it's amazing, just like that, Jay's in, uh, if you're listening, pop September 10th, um, you can sign up on the website, completely free to sign up, but it'll just mean that I'll send you some inspirational, uh, emails to get you pumped up to continue on that journey. Um, but the, the thing that's interesting is the actual exercise starts right now unintentionally. And here's what I mean by that is that right now, if you're listening to this podcast, you're having some question in your mind. You're either going, this Colin O'Brady guy is really full of shit. This is the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> or you're going, wow, that sounds interesting. I put it on my calendar like Jaden, September 10th, I'm doing it, I'm committed. Or you're somewhere most likely in between that. Like you're like maybe a little curious, but also like a little resistant or whatever. What I found, and myself included, because obviously I've done this many times, I got to schedule it. I got to set aside the time, put it on my calendar. I have busy life as well. One of the limited, common limiting beliefs is I don't have enough time, right? Of course, we've all felt that way. What's interesting is if you're listening to this, if you're considering this right now, even 1%, there is some inner voice that's popping up for you that is a limiting belief of some kind. Ah, my feet are going to get tired. I'm going to hate this. Or I, I can't spend more than 10 minutes by myself. I'm be so bored or whatever else is popping up. What's interesting is that those are limiting beliefs, right? And likely what I have found is whatever limiting beliefs you are applying in your own mind right now as you're considering this are actually probably some of the same, if not the exact same limiting beliefs that are holding you back in all the other areas of your life. So what the exercise is, and even this conversation about it is me holding up a mirror to you, literally, it's a mirror. It's an opportunity for you to analyze right now in this moment, as you listen to this, your interior dialogue and what resistance you have. Because like I said, it is likely if you apply that, if you're having this limiting belief about this over the next year, you might be having the same reaction to 20 or 30 or 40 or a hundred more other invitations, opportunities, curiosities, pursuits, etc., that you might be going through. And so it, it's a, it's a very, um, interesting thing. Like I said, you know, to conclude that thought is the 12 hour walk, the exercise of it starts right now. And if I hope you choose to join us any day, September 10th is a, the global call to action day, but that allows you to push through this limiting belief that you might be having right now by, by saying, man, I don't have enough time, but you know what? I'm going to put it on my calendar. I'm going to make the time you've already made a shift or, ah, these athletic stuff is just really not my thing, but like, okay, fine. I'm going to push through the discomfort of that. When you finish this, when you get back to your front door, when you assimilate this experience in your life, you will have proven to yourself, not by reading my book. You know, I think there's a lot of wisdom in there. It's an important, essential companion to this, but not by reading the book, by, by taking action yourself, that is what's going to imprint this lesson. And you're going to go, I remember I had the limiting belief. I almost didn't do this. I pushed through that. I did it. And so the next time that limiting belief comes up in your life in some other sort of realm, you'll go, 
I've pushed through this before and it becomes easier and easier. And that limiting belief voice becomes quieter and quieter. And the louder voice becomes the possible mindset voice, the the mindset of abundance, the abundance, the mindset of strength and positivity. And, and that's really the, a lot of the magic of this exercise. September 10th is the day, the call our day, the 12 hour walk. Uh, and that is the title of your new book, which I highly encourage everyone to go and get a copy of. I'll, link it in the show notes below so it's easy for people and lock it in your calendars September 10th uh, to join as well. If you're in Australia, it'll be September 11th. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you can do it September 10th. You'll just be the first ones to do it. You'll be on the early wave. We get ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, why not, right? Like uh, Colin, man, I've got two quick final questions for you, if you don't mind. Really, really enjoy this conversation. Could continue this conversation at another later date if you don't, if you want to. Uh, you we'll, after after September tenth, we'll do it. We'll do a follow up. We'll, we'll check in and hear how it went. Sounds good to me, man. Uh, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Mm. That's a wow. That's a good question. Um, hopefully, you and the listeners can hear it in my voice, which is. My biggest passion um, with the story is the ability to use that story to impact and inspire others. Um, obviously, there's in my quiet moments, my journals, et cetera, there's some, you know, some beautiful internal things that are just for me. Um, but I imagine why you love podcasting, you know, why I love writing and storytelling is the power of stories to transport and inspire others. And so, um, I've asked myself, Mike, that question, what's my Everest, right? You know, my next Everest is to inspire 10 million people to take this walk, but it's not, it's not to serve my ego to say, I was the guy who created the 12 hour walk and 10 million people did it. That, that means nothing to me. What matters to me is the ripple effect that that can have. If there's 10 million more people that have taken just one day to evaluate their inner dialogue, to get just a few percent points, stronger, happier, more fulfilled that uplift on humanity is significant. And so I guess uh, I will say humbly, um, if my story, if my experiences can impact people to have a positive outlook on their own life, because I believe we're all in this human experience together, um, I guess that's what I love the most about it. I love that too, man. And this is my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. I can already imagine now it's going to be one hell of a film. <laughs> Don't ask me how they got it all. We'll just call it magic for the sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow. Um, that, that, that's right. That's right to my heart for a couple of reasons, not least of which is I freaking love hypothetical questions. <laughs> I like my, I have, I have five, I have five older sisters. And when we're together with family, I bring up a hypothetical, like, Oh, here we go again. My whole childhood was asked, but you know, would you rather cut off your right hand or your left hand? Would you rather this? I mean, literally, I mean, my whole life, I love them. And this is a, a beautifully deep one. Um, so thank you for asking it. Let me think about that for a second. Um, when I, I had a visualization, it's a little bit different, but it's, it'll answer the question directly. Had a visualization this past year, um, 
of myself as an old man, very old. And coincidentally, I was in that same cabin where I dreamed this up on the Oregon coast, just a special place in my life. It's, you know, been with my family for a while and it's a place that speaks to my heart. It's not nothing fancy. It's just, you know, you can you see the, the water from there and the sun was setting in this very, very visceral visualization. The sun was setting and I realized it was my last day that my last day on earth was, was winding down. And I looked beside me in this visualization and I was an old wrinkled old man. Maybe I was a hundred. And there was my wife, Jenna, sitting beside me. She was old and wrinkled, but still beautiful. And I held her hand and we looked out at each other. And we looked at the sun was setting and it was just this feeling we said to each other, wow, wow, what a ride. Wow. And what we were talking about in that moment, interestingly enough, and again, it was the, it's the, it was the subtlety of a couple that have been together for an entire lifetime. And so we almost didn't have to speak it to each other. Maybe that was the power of my visualization. We could read each other's thoughts, right? But what we were referencing wasn't the accolades. It wasn't the success or money or fame or whatever, whatever went transpired in our life. It was the love between us. It was the love between our family. It was the love between our community. And I think that is at the essence of what I would hope that that movie would, uh, would highlight as a hundred year old man. I love it, man. What a hell of a question. Thank you. And one hell of an answer. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think, uh, I was listening to another podcast the other day and Bear Grylls, he was, he was the guest and he was talking about the end of his life when he does get to the end of his life and reaches the gates of heaven, he's like, I'm going to come sliding in. He's like, I'm going to go cheer. And it's like, what an adventure. Yeah. And for you, man, like even though I picture you and, and Jenna, like just sitting there in utter peace, I still imagine you both, like when you do get to the gates of heaven, both of you just sliding in saying, <laughs> what a hell of an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I think the uh, there's a Hunter S. Thompson quote that goes something like this, but to paraphrase it, it's something like, we're not supposed to get to the end of our life preserved in a nice, perfect box. We're supposed to come sliding in, bruised and battered and roughed up saying, what a hell of a ride. That's it, man. Perfect way to end this conversation. Colin, man, thank you so much for your time, your stories, your wisdom, your advice, writing this new book and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, my friend. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today.
Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.